Welcome to 15 Minute Freelancer, your snack-sized guide to being your own boss and building a business and life you love. I'm your host, Louise Shanahan. My LinkedIn bio says I'm a freelance health copywriter, but for the next 15 minutes, I'll be tickling your ears with practical strategies, behind-the-scenes stories and nuggets of wisdom so you can create a freelance business that works for you. Whether you're just starting out or you've been self-employed for a while, I'll be right here with you to help you navigate the ups and downs of freelancing life. So grab a coffee, relax, and join me for 15 minutes of freelancing fun. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hello and welcome to another episode of 15 Minute Freelancer. Louise Shanahan here. Last week, I had the pleasure and honour of being a special guest on the Freelance Chat Twitter Hour, which is hosted by PR expert Michelle Garrett. This is an hour-long chat every week about all sorts of freelancing questions and conundrums. It's on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time and 5pm UK Time. So I guess that'll be 4pm after the clock change, if I figured that out right. And I definitely recommend joining in if you haven't already. Just look for the hashtag freelance chat or follow Michelle on Twitter at PR is us. It was such a great conversation with some lovely freelancers, many of whom I hadn't actually met before. And it's always nice to expand your network. So yeah, I thought it would be helpful to share some of the great advice and tips and themes that came out of that conversation here on the podcast to let you all benefit from everyone else's wisdom. So the theme that I suggested for this podcast was about how to design your services as a freelancer in a way that works for you and your client. I've been in the process of redesigning my services recently and I was quite curious to learn how other people think about this. Maybe this will be helpful for you too. And if you want to dig into the chat itself, you'll need to go on Twitter, search for hashtag freelance chat and look for the posts on the 21st of October. So the first question that I asked was about designing services that get results for clients, but are also enjoyable, practical and profitable for you as a freelancer. How do you strike a balance between offering what clients need and doing what you enjoy most? I often have to hold myself back from wanting to do everything for clients. I find that I can just see opportunities for things that will help them get more bang for their buck or they're going to need social media or they're going to need a PR person. And it's really hard to hold myself back from saying, oh, maybe that's something I should be doing. But it's not necessarily my area of expertise. So some prompts that help me stay focused when considering a new project or service are to ask, number one, is this in my zone of joy? That is skill and satisfaction. Is it in the sweet spot of what I'm good at and what I enjoy? Number two is, if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? Because if I say yes to work that I don't really want to do, that's not my zone of joy, then I inevitably have to say no or I don't have time to do other work that might be something that I enjoy more, that I'm more qualified to do or get me closer to finding clients and projects that are what I really want to be doing. So if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? And number three, is there an expert that I can refer the client to instead? That way, they get a freelancer who's better placed to help them with their project. The other freelancer has the opportunity to do work that suits them. And I get karma points, which is always nice. So in the chat, most people predictably said that they want to do work that they enjoy and use their skills to help their clients get results. So kind of along the same lines as where I'm coming from. Theodora said that she focuses on services that she enjoys. And she actually stopped offering services that would bring her anxiety or frustration. And this might mean missing out on opportunities, but for her, peace of mind is more important. And I totally agree with this. What is the point in having the freedom to be your own boss? 
if you say yes to things that you really don't want to do and you don't have to do. Matthew, at Winning Solo, said that for him, the equation for deciding which services to offer is your skill plus your excitement plus their need equals a sustainable freelance business. So I'll say that again because I think you'll want to remember this one. Your skill plus your excitement plus the client's need equals a sustainable freelance business. He also gave some great tips on how to expand your expertise or skill set if you want to start offering additional services by number one, taking a stretch project, even at a discounted rate, if you can learn something new and still deliver good results. Number two, partnering with an expert so you're able to get paid to learn those new skills. And of course, there are a gazillion online courses. So that was his third suggestion there. Jessica says that for her, this question is about delegation. So she has a team of writers, so she can still take on work, even if she doesn't want to do it personally. And this helps her scale her business while working on what she wants to do. So if you are maybe getting lots of inquiries for a particular service that you don't especially enjoy, maybe subcontracting or delegating is a way to help clients and free up your time to focus on other work. We do have to be realistic, though, sometimes about having to do work or having to spend time on work that isn't our absolute dream project. But hopefully you get less of those over time. Tom said, when my business is fully booked, I start to remove those services that I dread doing. It's unrealistic to think you'll love every moment of your freelancing career. However, you should feel like every year is a step up towards your ideal life. And I love that sentiment. My next question was about choosing a niche, which can be a great way to help keep your services focused, whether by industry or by type of client or by project. And I've done an episode on this before, so you know I'm a big fan of niching. It's not for everyone, but I think niching helps you stand out in a sea of generalists. You can be the go-to for a specific industry or type of project. It gives you the chance to become an expert in that area and hone your skills. It allows you to make faster decisions if you are getting inquiries and you can simply say, does this fall within my niche or not? And it allows you to charge more sooner. So I think in the chat it was about half and half people in favour of niching and people who had a more generalist approach. Several people said they were interested in too many things to niche in one area and they don't want to be boxed in. They want to keep their options open and experiment, which I totally get. I do, however, think it's important to remember that if you narrow down the services that you actively market, it doesn't mean you can never say yes to other things. But I think several folk who have gone down the niching route have found that being known for something specific can be a great tool for building a sustainable business. Next, I was curious to know if other freelancers preferred to offer services with a set process or if they created a bespoke proposal for each project and why. Personally, I do a bit of both. So I've experimented with so-called productized services and that would be where you have a completely set service that the client pays for. So it's exactly the same service for each client. So for example, website audits are one that I've tried here. So if you go to the copy health check page on my website, you can see what that looks like. So it's exactly the same service for every client. I know exactly what the process is going to be and the price is the same every time. It's a service that's delivered as a product. But I find that for bigger services, many clients need a more tailored approach. So I do have fairly set workflows for how I like those projects to run, but there's room for quite a bit of flexibility so that I can deliver what clients need and I can still avoid the dreaded scope creep. And it seems that most other freelancers do the same. They do a bit of a mix of both where they might use similar processes for their services, but tailor them from client to client. 
Ilaria says she uses templates to save time but gives them a twist based on the client's needs and I totally agree, templates are lifesavers. I've gone from spending hours on proposals to doing them in about less than 20 minutes and I've done an episode on this which you can dig out if you're curious about how to do that. Tom says his services are mostly fixed, it's just easier and more efficient. He tailors his services and proposals to clients, but his discovery process, writing, content writing, advertising, etc. are all the same. And that's really important because that helps get closer to guaranteeing results. So if you are on a call with clients and you're talking through the standard aspects of your process, your proven process, this is what helps to reassure them that when you do that for them, you'll be able to get the results that you promised. There is a bit of discussion about whether to charge for proposals. I'm always curious about this because it's not something I typically do, but I know that other freelancers do this if the proposal is something a bit more strategic and more like a plan for the project that the client would be able to run with. Amy says she charges a strategy consulting fee to craft a custom proposal because the client is buying her how to fix ideas, which I really love. So if they hire her to do the work, the fee goes towards the total fee. If not, she doesn't feel like her ideas and time have been used without any compensation. So I quite like that idea. I think I might be considering how I can build that into my services. Next, I asked how freelancers go about pricing their services once they've decided what to offer, which was a big meaty conversation as it always is. So I price mostly by the project to focus on expertise and results and value, which I think gives both parties clarity. If the parameters are harder to define, I will sometimes price by the day. So in the chat, it seems that most people also do project-based pricing. Some have an hourly rate in mind, but they don't necessarily share that with clients. Some of those working in PR, consulting, use hourly rates, which makes sense for them. Karen says it depends on the client and the scope and the project. So when people ask how much a website costs, which is obviously the service that she provides, she would ask, how much does a car cost? You could be talking about a Porsche or a Hyundai with broken windows. You kind of have to figure out an amount or a range that makes you feel good about doing the work and um, reflects the value and the quality of that work and take it from there. Matt says his prices are based on intuition, knowing what peers charge and also looking at rate sheets provided by organisations such as the EFA. If you're a copywriter in the UK, you might take a look at Pro Copywriters Survey and I'm sure there are others for other industries. So that helps you get a sense of what others who are doing a similar service to you will be charging so you can get a sense of what market rates are. And when it comes to figuring out if you're charging too much or too little, Matthew gave some good advice. He says, as a rule of thumb, if you're not losing about 20% of your bids on price alone, your pricing is probably too low. That feels about right to me too. At the same time, if everyone is saying no, then maybe it's time to review your prices and they're maybe on the high side. But I suspect most people could benefit from increasing their rates. Somebody asked what happens if someone says your rates are too high and I think most people agreed that you should offer to reduce the scope rather than reduce your fee in this case. And I would add, remember, it's not personal. Their budget is not about you. I would always say rather than feeling like they're a difficult client or anything like that, keep it friendly. Stick to your boundaries, don't reduce your fee without reducing the scope. And then you never know, if they can't work with you right now for budget reasons, then maybe they'll come back a year later when they do have the budget. And I have had that happen a few times. There was some chat about negotiations about pricing being a bit tricky and Paula recommended reading Dr. Freelance's book, The Science, Art and Voodoo of Freelance Pricing and Getting Paid. And I haven't read this book, but I will definitely be taking a look at it and I'll include a link to that. So maybe that's something to take a look at too. 
Then for the fifth question, I asked if other freelancers build in packages, upsells, cross-sells, all the sells or added extras at the end of a project to help clients get more bang for their buck and continue the relationship. What I mean by this is, for example, I like to offer a next steps plan at the end of a project. So for example, if I've just finished writing a white paper for someone, I will offer ways to repurpose it into other types of content with a view to continuing working together. So that means that the client can get more out of their initial investment and obviously I get to keep working with them, which is great. Masuma said she asks if she can help clients with similar content. So once she's finished a project, she will offer to do more of the same with a view to converting them into retainer clients. And then Finally, the bonus question was, do you ever team up with freelancers to offer a specific service or package? I don't have any official partnerships or kind of team working arrangements or anything like that with other freelancers, but there definitely are a few freelancers that I work with regularly. And if I have a client who I'm providing copywriting services for, who I think needs a designer, for example, I have a few people that I work with regularly that I'm very happy to recommend and connect them with. And then hopefully we get to work together. I sometimes subcontract to other freelancers too. And all of this is a great way to give clients an end-to-end service and increase your referrals as well. Because if you're referring people and you work together a lot, hopefully they will do the same for you in return. And in freelance chat, people had mixed strategies for this, which was really interesting. Some people like to connect the other freelancers directly with their clients so that they're making an intro and then perhaps working together, but they're not officially teaming up in a partnership arrangement. They're not managing the other person as a subcontractor. Other people like to uh, subcontract to others, or maybe they hire a small team and do it that way. Generally, I'm not really interested in managing work or invoices for another person, though. That is their business. (laughs) I think I'm with Matt when he said this can be a bit like those group projects in school where suddenly you're responsible for the whole thing. But as he says, it definitely works in the right context and with the right people. Tripti says that when you are delegating or subcontracting, her advice is to find someone who complements your services. Jen kind of agreed with that, saying the most important thing is trusting the person that you're partnering with and knowing that they do great work, which is really important when so much of our business is built on our reputation. You want to make sure you're recommending people who work to your same high standards. Theodora said her tips for successful collaborations were to, number one, choose people you like and don't try to change their processes to fit your needs. Just find people with similar working processes. Number two, communicate all the time. And number three, discuss the timeline and deadlines from day one. And that all sounds like brilliant advice, in my opinion. Okay, that was a really quick roundup of hashtag freelance chat, which I hope you found helpful. It was such a good conversation and covered a lot of different topics. So I don't know that I've quite done it justice in this podcast. I've only got 15 minutes to kind of run through what was an hour long chat. There's a different theme for the Twitter chat each week, but I 100% recommend joining if you can. As I say, it's hashtag freelance chat on Thursdays at 12 noon Easter time and whatever time that is in the UK, depending on on whether this podcast goes out before or after the clocks go back. If you follow Michelle Garrett uh, on Twitter at PRIsUs, she will keep you right. And I'll put a link in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening. And if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes, please send me a DM on Twitter at Louise Shanahan underscore or on LinkedIn. Send me a voice note if you can't be bothered typing at memo.fm forward slash 15. Okay, thank you. Bye. You've been listening to 15 Minute Freelancer with me, Louise Shanahan, 
freelance health copywriter and content marketer at thecopyprescription.com. If you enjoyed this, please hit subscribe, leave a review or share it with a freelance friend. And if you've got a freelancing question you want answered on the podcast, find me and say hi on Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram. Thanks and until next time, happy freelancing!